Hello and welcome to the Circular Economy podcast, where we find out how circular approaches are better for people, planet and profit. I'm Catherine Wheatman of Rethink Global, and I'll be chatting with those people making the circular economy happen, rethinking how we design, make and use everything. We'll talk to entrepreneurs and business owners, social enterprises and leading thinkers. You'll find the show notes, links and transcripts at circulareconomypodcast.com, where you can subscribe to updates and our fortnightly edition of Circular Insights. Hello there and welcome to episode 47. I'm recording this on Saturday the 20th of February. A bit late this week as I've been preparing for a webinar I'm doing at the Save Our Soil online conference next week. It's a three-day event focused on regenerative agriculture. My talk will focus on how the circular economy helps farms become more sustainable and separately I'm chairing a discussion with a group of farmers. I was also delighted to be invited to contribute to the latest expert series in Circular Conversations. To answer the question, how can the circular economy help us create social value? Circular Conversations was set up by Emanuele Di Francesco and describes itself as a community platform showcasing solutions for systemic change. It tells stories of change to spread ideas and practices that move us towards a regenerative and distributive economy. My colleague Peter Desmond also contributed to the piece, wearing his hat as co-founder of the African Circular Economy Network. And there are further pieces from Alex Lemille, several people from the Cresting Research Project, Justine Laron from Circulab and others. I've put a link to the Circular Conversations and the Save Our Soil webpages in the show notes. In today's episode, I'm talking to Joanna Bingham of Footprints Africa, who also supports the African Circular Economy Network. In our conversation, Joanna mentions a project that Footprints Africa is doing with Grid Arundel to map examples of the circular economy across Africa. The Footprints Africa report is now available and I've included a link to the map in the show notes at circulareconomypodcast.com. Today we're talking to Joanna Bingham, who is the founding CEO of Footprints Africa, founding partner of the CE360 Alliance and leads the Ghana chapter for the African Circular Economy Network. Joanna uses the circular economy to support sustainable, scalable and inclusive approaches to development of local African economies. Joanna studied at Bradford University, the first degree level circular economy course supported by the Ella MacArthur Foundation. Through Footprints Africa, Joanna also runs six month B Corp programme to support SMEs who are positive about improving their environmental and social impact. Having worked in the investment industry for nine years, Joanna says she's schooled in critical analysis and scepticism and is passionate about embedding social purpose in everyday activity. Joanna, it's great to finally get you on the podcast and I'm curious to know what led you to the circular economy in the first place. It's lovely to be here. Thank you so much for having me on. Um, so as you mentioned, I was working in the investment industry and I worked for a fantastic organization that was very passionate about sustainability and in a very pragmatic way. So they 
they spent a lot of time trying to understand what that really meant for companies. Um, but I was always curious about what more could be done. And so I spent a lot of time casting around, looking at impact investing, looking at different forms of philanthropy. And I went to a talk in London um, with a gentleman called Jamie Butterworth, who was um, the founding CEO of Circularity Capital. And I just heard him speak. And, you know, when you just have one of those moments, you're like, this is what I've been waiting for. Um, he was talking about circular economy. And so afterwards, I went up to him and I said, how can I learn more about this? Um, how can, you know, I must know more. And he uh, pointed me in the direction of the Circular Economy MBA at Bradford. Um, and so that's how I started that journey. So I started, I only did the postgrad um, element and um, that was the start of the journey for me. Excellent. And I, um, I smiled when you said Jamie Butterworth because um, it looks like I might be about to get him onto the uh, podcast as well. So having, Fantastic. A, having a chat soon. Um, so you did the postgrad at, at Bradford and got to know much more about the circular economy. And then how did that lead to coming up with the ideas for the work that you now do in Africa? So they happened in parallel. Um, as I mentioned, I was working for a fantastic investment company and I was focused on um, investing in lower income markets, um, particularly in sub-Saharan Africa. Um, we had the opportunity to visit um, a lot of these economies and speak to senior figures, senior business figures, and understand their investment strategies and, and hear about, there was a lot of corporate spin about sort of emerging middle classes and, and you know, providing goods and services to the poor. And I was just very curious about what the real impact was of these, um, of these businesses um, and how inclusive it was. Um, and I was always sort of searching for something more. Um, I was aware that uh, charity isn't going to solve all the world's problems, but also that business left to its own devices isn't either. Um, and um, the organization I worked for was just incredibly flexible. They allowed me to explore different topics. And I spent a year seconded to an amazing organization called the Wood Foundation. Um, and they were taking, um, they called it venture philanthropy approach um, to uh, supporting smallholder farmers in the tea industry in East Africa to improve their livelihoods. And they did it through a whole value chain approach. So looking at um, everything from, from government to processing factories, um, farmers associations, educational institutions, and bringing all of them together to improve the tea industry um, really for the benefit of, of, of the most vulnerable. Um, but it's very much a commercial approach. Um, so it was a fascinating year for me. I learned so much from them, but I, was, I became incredibly passionate about supply chains and the role of supply chains and the fact that um, you know, from the clothes we wear to the food we eat, um, this is touching, um, you know, the poorest of the poor potentially, and then really reaching into far-flung corners of the world. And so therefore it has a potential to, to uplift, um, and it also has a potential to be incredibly extractive. So um, from that journey and, and, and looking at supply chains, I became very curious about how you could redress some of the power imbalances in supply chains and support local suppliers to... Um, be able to um, ad adopt some of the global best practices with regards labor practices and environmental standards, but also to have um, to be able to, to be able to have more uh, pricing power and to be able to have more just 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 more of a seat at the table, really. Um, so that was the, the 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 genesis, and then from there. Um, that, that led to me setting up Footprint. So um, the idea was to work with local suppliers um, and, and see how we could help them to improve, to adopt um, 
better social environmental practices and so get into um, and be able to, to be in multinational supply chains and global supply chains um, without being exploited. Mm. So is it a combination of the two things then, improving the way that people um, farm or produce materials and, and uh, products in the first place and, also, and at the same time helping to redress the, the power balance, as, as you mentioned, and, and kind of, um, you know, how, how do you help them do that? Is it, is it just by becoming more attractive as a supplier because they're ticking all the sustainability boxes for the customer, or is it other things like fair trade or um, uh, kind of um, uh, trading cooperatives, that kind of thing? it's a mixture of things one of the things I'm very aware of is that I am a white woman working in Africa and I think it's really important to know my place um, and I think my understanding of my place is that I have a certain platform due to my privilege and therefore my role is to give access um, via that platform and so I don't want to I'm cautious about being too deterministic about what the route is so one of the reasons why we, we run a B Corp program and we've chosen that framework is because it has a lot of global best practice embedded in, but it allows companies themselves to choose what makes sense for them and to identify the priorities that they want to work on. So, um, for example, some, some of the kind of um, in, in, in the workers pillar of the, of the B Corp, um, the B Impact Assessment, it talks a lot about LGBTQ um, for some companies in Ghana, that's just a step too far. They're very Christian and that's not something they're going to prioritize. It, it's not for me to tell them what they should be doing, but they may feel very passionate about the environment and about, for example, as you mentioned, resource use and, and materials and waste. Um, and so that's the area that they might focus on. Um, so so that's, that's the approach we're trying to take by, by offering tools that we think can be useful for them, but also not trying to impose any views on how they should be doing things. Mm. And, and how, just coming back to the power balance between um, particularly small producers and, um, you know, large global brands who might be the, um, the end customer, are there other ways of changing the power balance, um, you know, like trying to negotiate fair trade agreements or um, you know, getting a number of suppliers together. Are there other, other things that you learned from that Wood Foundation T project? Yeah, it's, it's a really interesting one and it's, it's complex and, and challenging. One of, the, one of the biggest challenges is, um, is the kind of language each of them speaks. And that could be literally the language as in, you know, whether you speak Swahili or English. But that could also be um, just the, the corporate jargon that you use that is very inaccessible to, you know, a local um, food producer. Um, and so I think access to information and understanding of concepts and terminology is, is one way to help with that power imbalance. Um, with regards organization, I think a lot of it depends on the buyer themselves and how willing they are to listen and, and their contract, contracting and procurement processes. Um, and so the work we do is more with the SMEs at the moment, with the, with the local suppliers themselves and less so with the buyers, but it's something that we'd like to move into because a lot of those buyers really want to localize their supply chains and they want to um, have um, less imports when they're working in, um, in when they're, when, with their operations in those countries. And so they do want to develop their suppliers, but 
for kind of language and understanding reasons, they may be not necessarily able to do so. So they may not understand some of the challenges. So you, you, you can hear often kind of a lot of criticisms like, oh, you know, these local suppliers, they're lazy or they never turn up on time or they're unreliable. But actually, you know, the local supplier has completely unreliable power supply or the supplier who was supplying them didn't give them the goods they needed or the roads, you know, it rained and the roads were unusable. So they couldn't get the goods to them. So there's lots of kind of, um, there's, there's a kind of brokering role that needs to be done um, to help them to get on the same page. And there are lots of examples of where that's been done successfully. Um, so I think that's for us would be the next step to look at how we can support brokering that relationship a little bit better and support those companies who are really keen and curious to develop their local suppliers to do so. And I would love to um, to reorient the BCOR program to work with a specific supply chain for a multinational, for example. Mm. So any multinationals listening, we're ready. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that sounds interesting. And I think um, that that would be a really good way, wouldn't it, to, to kind of flush out some of the barriers and blockages and gaps, um, mm. stopping things working more uh, smoothly and, and symbiotically together. There's some really interesting examples of supplier development programs where um, where multinationals have, or, or large um, local corporates have offered tiered um, programs for their suppliers. So a smaller supplier where maybe it's riskier to start working with them. And I think this can really work, translate into kind of when we start talking about transition circular economy. Um, but for example, a small company who's maybe more risky for them to start, let's say it's a local supermarket stocking on their shelves, they'll give them a small contract, they'll pay them very quickly so that you know, they don't have challenges with working capital. Um, they might even give them a little, like a small working capital loan to help them produce and expand their capacity. They'll give them mentoring and support from their procurement managers um, and access to um, just the, the resources that they have to help these suppliers to develop. And if those suppliers are able to you know, to meet their the criteria and the volumes and the and the milestones they set for them, they extend um, that and they 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 will purchase a bit more, but they will pay them maybe a little bit later. So there's like some really nice ways that they can support suppliers to get to the level that they need them to be, because at the moment the the chasm between where they want a, a local supplier to be versus where a supplier is is just too huge. And I was speaking to one multinational, and they were saying they think that it would cost a local supplier in Ghana, 20,000 euros just to get in, just to meet all the requirements in terms of safety and certifications and all these different aspects. And that's a huge amount of money for a company to be able to invest upfront just to be able to have the opportunity to bid for work for a company. Yeah, wow. Well, that is shocking. And so um, can you give us an example of the kind of project that you've been involved in in, in Ghana um, since setting up Footprints of Africa? So there's two major things that we're working on at the moment. So one is the BCOR program, which um, we've, we've touched on. So this is where we work with local um, organizations in the catering and the waste sectors in Ghana. Um, and we take them through the B Impact Assessment, which is BCOR's sort of core framework. Um, and we help them to identify the changes that they want to make in their organization and set them up with an action plan. And then over a six month period, we have a series of workshops that they go through, which are kind of more technical, bringing in local experts. And we really focus on local expertise. Um, so we do, um, we start with a, a theory of change program, which helps them to identify the change that they want to see through the work that they're doing and how they link their organizational practices from their operations to their kind of um, staff um, goals to that change so that might be um you know we're working with organizations that want to empower um female waste pickers 
to um, clean up waste um, from, from the streets. Um, we're working with organizations that um, work with uh, local farmers to provide um, highly nutritious catering, um, and they're providing farmer development programs as well as part of the work they're doing. So they're kind of purpose-led organizations, and they um, have this clear kind of ethos, but maybe the full team doesn't understand it. So through that first workshop, we get everyone on board with understanding what the, what the organization is driving for and making sure that everything they do reinforces that. Then we um, bring in lawyers to help them with the kind of business requirements, compliance, governance, contracting, all the legal stuff that is often quite inaccessible. Um, and things like um, having a board and, and, and stuff that will really, really help them. We then um, have a section on employee engagement um, and staff development, um, which is really, really important culturally, which we can talk about culture um, in a bit. And then we have a section on the informal sector, which is something that is very, it's so critical. And, and it's, um, I'd love to talk in more detail about it. Um, but uh, in Ghana, depending on which statistic you believe, 80 to 90% of all people in employment in inverted commas are employed in the informal sector which means they have no security um you know um, they're, they're kind of under the radar of the system um and so how these all of these companies are working with the informal sector in some way or another and so working with them to help that help them improve that relationship um to make it a mutually beneficial relationship and then for companies who get through the whole program they are eligible to apply for a grant and we help them with that process. So we, um, we're always focused on skills building and we do a kind of a deep dive into how to do project planning, feasibility studies, uh, monitoring and evaluation, setting targets, resourcing to help them write really decent grant proposals. And so that even if we don't award them a grant, eventually they will have the opportunity of a kind of a prepared project with feedback on it that they could take to other funders. Mm, that so that's brilliant. our vehicle program. Yeah. Yeah. So that's our B Corp program. Um, and then I don't know if you want to talk about that anymore or whether I talk about the other program. Yeah, let's hear about the other the other program. That, um, uh, but I think the, the B Corp thing sounds really good and, and really comprehensive. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm really um, interested in that as a as a kind of, um, you know, it's, it's much more kind of company led and nobody's trying mm -hmm. to just tick certain boxes. It's about what mm -hmm. really matters to the um the, the company and all the people in it so uh, yeah i think it's great that, yeah that's it um and it's a very interesting tool for if we're thinking about the transition to a circular economy one of the first places is kind of mindset and behavior change and the b core um movement is is amazing for that um so the other um the other aspect that we are working on which is specifically focused on circular economy is um, is with regards uh, mapping out um, initiatives across the African continent who are um, um, embedding circular economy principles in in their business models and this came from so to our, we have two core focuses one is is sustainable development and programs around sustainable development and then the other is education um, and research activities so we've participated in so many conferences and webinars and you know seminars and workshops and panel events and whatever on circular economy you know it's, it's definitely becoming the hot topic but um it feels very conceptual and the response and the reception has been great it's, it's not a it's not a challenging concept to understand um, companies are really interested to see 
um, how they can embed those principles. And the kind of key question is, but what does this look like for me? And a lot of these examples I'm seeing are from Europe or from America, and they don't, I don't recognize this context. And so what we wanted to do was to show um, what amazing work is happening on the African continent. And obviously, notwithstanding the fact that it's, it's, we're not ignorant to the fact that Africa is not one country um, and the contexts are different, but they do have some shared challenges. Um, and there is something inspirational for a company working in Ghana to see someone in Kenya who's done something similar. Um, and so we have collected, um, I believe we have, we have a long list of around 160 examples. And then um, we set up a, a questionnaire for, for, for organizations to fill in about their initiative. And I think we have about 69 respondents. And then we've done a really deep dive into 23 of those. Um, and we've had support from an organizational, an organization called Grid Arundel, um, which came through the African Circular Economy Network, who we're partnering with on this project. Um, and they, um, they have mapped um, these cases onto um, a geolocated map, which is online. Um, and then that has a link to, um, to the cases that we've written up. And so we will be publishing a report on that this week, hopefully, which is very exciting. Um, and then we, we intend to, to kind of make, to, to expand that project from there. And um, there's a lot of, there's a lot we can do from, from that. But the, the, the main piece now is just to give a bigger platform to those who are doing great work and to inspire others to see what, what, what is possible um, with what's available. Um, and also what I would love is to influence a bit more the global dialogue on circular economy um, with this different context and show um, how it can be interpreted and, and must be interpreted for different contexts. Mm. Yeah, I think I think um, helping people see relevant examples is is you know one of the key ways forward um, to inspire Absolutely. people in in one country or one region that they're looking at something and thinking well if that happens there it could you know it could work for us here and also I think one of the main barriers to expanding the circular economy at the moment is the lack of supply chain um, so you know if you want to replace your finite extracted material with a recycled one who are you going to buy it does it exist and who are you going to buy it from so that kind of um all that information the sooner we get that out there um and the so sooner people start to join up the dots then um you know yeah, the, the faster things can happen uh, yeah it's absolutely true and and i don't know about you but i i don't find it engaging when someone tells me stuff you know if someone just sits there and lectures me about concepts it's boring Whereas if you tell me the story of an organization and I can see how someone has done something and the journey they've been on, the mistakes they've made and how they've had to iterate, you know, I, that, that is going to stay with me. Um, and it feels like something that I could emulate or learn from. Uh, so I just think the, the way that we educate is, is changing so much. And so one of the things that we're really, we've been talking to, to Grid Arundel about is, is putting together training materials and using these case studies as training materials. And it's something that we do already in our B Corp program is, is training through case studies because, you know, a lot of the entrepreneurs we work with maybe haven't been to university. I don't know how far through school they went. They're smart people. They've got really strong business acumen, but they, they just, they, they, you know, tell me how I can make it work. They don't want to know the concepts and the theory. Mm. Yeah, I think I think you're right, and um, there are just so many ways that we can use people's stories to help um, make the case. You know, it's much much more believable, isn't it? If you can see that here's mm -hmm. this business doing it, and it and you know it's profitable and it's 
um, you know, it's got loyal customers and loyal suppliers and um, therefore it's a viable business. It's not just a theory that might or might not work. And so you said, um, Joanna, that the circular economy is a hot topic in Africa, but it's all a mm-hmm. bit conceptual. Um, so are, pe- are people enthusiastic about it? Do they see it as a, as a way to move forward and miss out a lot of the issues of, of what we now call the linear economy? I think that there's there's two types. There's two types of people in the world. Um, there's there's two types of kind of um, people engaging with the circular economy. So there are, and and I, I forget someone. Some I'm using someone else's terminology. So apologies for not um, referencing them. But um, there are those who are, who are who are operating in a circular way through necessity. So they have scarce resources. They um, you know you can get anything repaired in Ghana. I feel like if something's broken. It, I just have to find someone in the in who knows someone who will put me to someone who will be able to repair it. Um, so those practices are, are just much more commonly adopted, and you know traditional practices of using banana leaf to to wrap your food in, for example, when you get takeout rather than plastic. Um, a lot of those things exist, but then there's there's kind of circular economy by by innovation um, by well, I mean they're both innovation, but. Um, and, and it's more known as a concept and thinking about, okay, how do I embed circular economy principles? And there's a knowledge of circular economy um, and both, both exist. Um, so with regards to those who, um, who are learning about circular economy, there is a lot of excitement. Um, there's, um, there's definitely a, a desire, especially among young people to have meaning in their roles and, and to make a difference in the, in the community around them. Um, so there's, there's a lot of youth led activism um, and, and an idea of kind of entrepreneurship as, as a route out of any of, of problems, um, be those environmental or, or monetary. Um, so, yeah, so I think for, for those who are learning about it, they're excited, they're enthusiastic about it. But like I said, it just needs to be made more real and more practical and more pragmatic. Um, and we need to be careful that the agenda isn't dominated by those who um, who have something to lose from it. Um, so, for example, I think um, there is a lot of conversation around recycling um, and recycling is not circular economy. Recycling is a potential um, strategy that you can adopt as kind of a last resort for materials that you can't do anything else with. But it in itself is not circular economy. And so there's a lot of um, a lot of organizations who um, are wary of shifting their business models for good reasons because it's risky, but for whom the circular economy and, and having to be more careful about the materials they use it is risky um, and so you know there are some multinationals for example who really want to put recycling at the front of the agenda and call that circular economy um, and so there's a there's a real risk there that um, uh, a lot of investments are made in large-scale pyrolysis for example so melting down stuff for energy um, rather than thinking about how you can repair and recover and remanufacture um, so I think that's that's kind of one trend that we're definitely seeing and, and that we're, we're conscious of. And, you know, with good reason as well, because waste is a massive challenge um, and the infrastructure to to manage it is um, is lacking. Um, and so that poses a lot of health um, and safety and, and um, pollution challenges, which governments would really love to have a one size fits all solution to. So it's 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 a seductive route to go. But I, I think we just need to be be careful because there is a huge opportunity for that kind of. I forget the the fancy term, but the kind of the innovation leap where, um, for example, I mean, you see it in banking, for example, uh, in um, in Ghana, in Kenya, for example, they have uh, a lot of uh, 
uh, mobile banking. So they don't mm. even have bricks and mortar banking anymore. And they've been able to leap through that innovation, which we can't, we, you know. Yeah, the kind of uh, leap, tangent. Leap, leap from um, But yeah, you're right. And I think, um, you know, there's there's all this discussion about the um, needing a just transition. And there is a danger with, um, you know, kind of talking about, well, we can just recycle things, um, you know, like replacing glass bottles for which there was probably quite a good recycling infrastructure anyway and, re and glass can be recycled um, you know endlessly apparently um, and um, you know just kind of saying well we'll replace it with plastic because that saves us a load of money in, in logistics and don't worry it's mm -hmm. recyclable but mm -hmm. those companies are recyclable not, where exactly and those companies are not being asked to put the investment into the infrastructure to create the recycling network so it just ends up being um, you know, yet another problem, doesn't it? So um, um, in terms of what you've learnt so far with your involvement in, in the B Corp programme and uh, talking to, to people about how to bring the circular economy into their business, what would your top tip be for anybody looking to go circular or start something circular? Um, great question. So I think um, a couple of things. One is uh, protect your cash flow um, because if you can't afford to run your core business, then you you know you can't afford to innovate. Um, so I think making sure that your cash flow is protected and then giving space to innovate in a kind of iterative way. So small prototypes, um, you know, the, the kind of the the, the kind of uh, I can't remember the word. Um, a jugad or frugal innovation, or maybe any of that. Um, <laughs> but um, but the, but the trendy stuff. So um, but but actually, it's very very simple. So you know, work out what what area you want to make a difference in, and then try it in a small way, basically. Um, and um, and then next, find awesome partners that you can work with to do it. So I think some of the challenges in um, in some African contexts is that you kind of. You have to do everything. So, you know, you mentioned around supply chains, for example, if you want to use innovative materials or if you want to use um, regenerative materials, they don't exist. So then you find yourself suddenly going and becoming a regenerative material manufacturer just because you wanted to, to build a, a roof. Um, so um, so I think finding finding partners who can who can pick off different pieces of the puzzle and working with them together um, is um, is powerful. Um, and I think, you know, for, for, for those, um, it, it's really hard to get funding and get support for that innovative stage. And I think part of the challenge is sometimes those who do get support for that innovative stage end up being reliant on that support and not, and not focusing on the commerciality. So I think it, it's so important that, that, this, that there isn't that donor dependence and there isn't that grant dependence, that there's always an eye to making it um, commercially viable. Um, in whatever way is possible. Mm. Brilliant. Three tips there. Thank you very much for that. That's oh, yeah. All, all, all good <laughs> advice. Three for one. Lucky. <laughs> Sorry. So it, it's clear from um, the com you know the conversation so far and and what I know about the work that you've that you've done that you have a very strong set of values. So which of those values would you like to share with um, you know aspiring circular entrepreneurs in terms of being being important in, in work and life? I think it has to be around um, listening. Um, so um, the, 
we have a value around getting into the trenches in, in our organization. Um, but, but just really understanding those around you and making sure you're listening. Um, we, we look a lot at human-centered design approaches. Um, and I think, you know, Alexandre Emile, who um, is one of the co-founders of, of the African Circular Economy Network, um, he talks about the human sphere and how we talk about um, technical resources and biological resources, but we don't necessarily talk about the human element. Um, and circular economy has a huge potential to create uplift, um, you know, out of poverty, but also to create meaning for people because working for an organization that stands for something um, it is, is so, it has such a different, it has such a transformation in your life. And working with some of the, the companies that we do and seeing the change in mindsets and, and the kind of engagement of the staff of the companies that we're working with is so amazing. And it often it, it comes from them listening to each other and hearing each other better. Yeah, yeah. that's brilliant. And I'll put um, a link to um, Alex um, in the show notes as well, because um, he's written quite a bit about the um, the human sphere, as he as he calls it. Um, and yeah, I think I think you're right. There is that potential to um, create uplifts in in so many ways. Um, and more and more people, particularly youngsters, are looking for ways to build meaning into their into their work. And it's even translating into employee activism over the last last few weeks. Um, because uh, we're recording this on the thirteenth uh, of January, so um, right. only a few days after all the the riots in in Washington, um, and uh, from what I'm reading, employee activism has meant that some big corporates are now pulling their donations from political parties um, because employees are saying, you know, I don't oh, want wow. to be a part of this, um, and so you know that the the kind of the power of of citizens um mm -hmm. you know it's now we can all get connected um with social media mm -hmm. and, and and other things um you know we can we can use that power a lot more actively than we think and and feeling that the company that you're working for or the organization that you're working for has the right values i think is just becoming more and more important to people um so yeah is that that's um I really like that value. So, Joanna, do you have um, a recommended guest that you'd that um, you'd suggest for a future episode? So I've got at least twenty three who we just interviewed for <laughs> okay. our, um, oh, our yes. cases. Okay. Um, but I think the one that I um, that that makes me feel good. Um, I think there's there's a gentleman called Noel who runs an organisation called Lono in Cote d'Ivoire. And they work um, at the community scale, which is something that's really important. And we're not talking enough about um, decentralized circular economy um, and the, the role it can play in communities. So community scale um, uh, digesters for um, agricultural waste um, and the, um, the byproduct of, of methane can be turned into cooking gas so that they have you know, a more sustainable cooking gas to avoid deforestation. Um, and then the, um, they have a, a, a team of farm agents, um, extension agents, who go and work with um, their customers to help them uh, create the best, uh, the best uh, soil additive that they, can, that they can use on their crops from this agricultural and kitchen waste. Um, so I really love that model. Um, I think they've done a lot of thinking um, around um, 
right-sized uh, technology that's appropriate for the local communities that can be maintained in the local communities um, and that addresses the community needs. So I, I think that's a really lovely model to look at. Um, but have plenty more that I can recommend to you if you'd like. Well, feel free to send the whole list of 23, but I'd love to get the um, the, the details of, of Noel, so that, that sounds interesting. And um, uh, yeah, there's a, a couple of examples that I've looked at over in, in the UK, um, but everything was, was too big scale, really. I was talking to one um, company and saying, you know, it needs to be um, AD in a, in a box, so you could just turn up and drop mm -hmm. something off and, and um, you know, exactly. people can... Um, try it straight away and, and um, you know, and then um, go from there, really, not not investing up front in something that you're not quite mm -hmm. sure how it's going to work for you. Mm -hmm. Excellent. So, Joanna, how can people get in touch and find out more about all the great stuff that you're doing with Footprints Africa? So our website definitely needs revamping, but we do have a website, which is www.footprintsafrica.co. Um, and there are various links to the projects we're doing. So there's some information on the vehicle program, which definitely needs updating. And there's also the link to this report um, that we're releasing and the link to the, to the map, um, which hopefully you can put in the show notes as well, which um, can identify all of those case studies. Um, so that's probably the best way. Yeah, pleased to do that. Great stuff. Well, um, I'm sure you're going to have a, a busy year in 2021. Um, virtually or, or in person, depending on how things um, pan out with um, vaccines and yeah. distancing and, uh, and um, uh, certainly over here, people, people doing what they're supposed to be doing in terms of distancing. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, look forward to um, seeing the map online and uh, looking at some of those uh, 23 and growing number of examples and wish you the best of luck um, for the future Fantastic. projects. Thank you so much, Catherine, and thank you so much for, for hosting me and, and the work you do is so important. Thanks, Joanna. It's great to hear Joanna say that the circular economy is such a hot topic in Africa. I like Joanna's categorisation of circular approaches. The first category are necessary and part of the system already, such as repair businesses. Often, these are capable of repairing a wide range of products and equipment making the parts themselves or harvesting them from similar products. The second category that Joanna sees is innovations, new ideas and inventions for creating circular services and flows. I was impressed by Joanna's commitment to sharing knowledge and business skills to help people build their own expertise and equip themselves to start, evolve and scale their ventures. It sounds as though the B Corp programme is a well-structured way to do that, particularly bringing in local expertise to provide support with complex issues like legals, finance and so on. If you've not already heard about B Corps, they're a new kind of business that balances purpose and profit. They meet the highest standards of verified social and environmental performance, public transparency and legal accountability to achieve that balance. The B Corporation describes itself as a community of leaders driving a global movement of people using businesses as a force for good. I've included a link in the show notes at circulareconomypodcast.com. It was fascinating to hear how young people in Africa see entrepreneurship as a way to make sure their work has meaning and to find a route forward out of poverty and challenging conditions. It was also interesting to learn that Joanna is keen on Alexandra Lemiel's work on the circular economy, in particular 
in the need for a human sphere. I've included a link to Alex's work in the show notes. And as I mentioned at the start of the episode, Alex contributed to the Circular Conversations piece on social value. That's it for this episode of the Circular Economy podcast. If you like what you're hearing, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Leave us a review and tell your friends and colleagues. The Circular Economy podcast is brought to you by Rethink Global, helping you use circular, sustainable approaches to make a better world for people, planet and your business. Get in touch via the website or connect with me on LinkedIn. If you'd like to learn more about the circular economy, why not go back and listen to episode one or buy the new edition of my award-winning book, A Circular Economy Handbook, How to Build a More Resilient, Competitive and Sustainable Business, which takes you through the concepts and practicalities, including lots of real examples from around the world. Make sure you get the edition with the orange cover, which has a new chapter on packaging, lots of extra examples and updated research in every chapter. You can find resources and links mentioned in today's episode, as well as a transcript of the conversation at rethinkglobal.info, where you can find out how we help you succeed with Circular. Circular.